Well, Doc, I can't, I want to want to take too much of your time. I know I'm taking a lot of it. So thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate this. The goal for today is to educate our listeners and try to get people to understand maybe some warning signs of like poor cardi- cardiovascular health. And, and I'd like to sort through, um, you know, my results and be, you know, be completely open and honest about them. And you can, you know, really shed some light on, on, on what, we saw because I went in to see you because I struggled very much with uh, my, my not conditioning because I do that every day. But I found uh, Dr. Juan through a dear friend who was raving about your skill set. And I said, who's Dr. Juan? So I know who Dr. Juan is. He's a superstar celebrity doctor who helps everyone. He's very kind. He's very hardworking. He's super fit. And he wears very nice suits. But I want you to tell us who you are and tell us how you arrived in the place that you've arrived. Just just a few minutes on your background. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I'm first and foremost, thank you, Mark, uh, for inviting me uh, to do this with you. Uh, I'm originally from Puerto Rico. Uh, so I speak I speak more Spanish than English, I would say. Uh, but I did my uh, medical training in the United States. I left Puerto Rico in 2002. I came to the United States and I did my internal medicine training at UT Southwestern in Dallas. I then became a cardiologist. I did my cardiology training at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. And when I was at Hopkins, I developed this love for cardiovascular prevention. As opposed to being the guy who's in the cath lab at two in the morning opening arteries, I figured very quickly that that was a repetitive behavior. In other words, I kept seeing people that were coming to us with a heart attack, but two years ago, the same thing happened to them and they weren't changing anything about their lives. They were still smoking or they were still not taking care of their diabetes and so forth. So I figured we need to approach heart disease from a preventative standpoint. So that's what I fell in love with. And I came down to Miami. I did a master's in public health as well at Johns Hopkins. Then I came to Miami in 2009 and started practicing cardiovascular prevention uh, uh, down here. What also happened in my career is that my passion for prevention also led me to TV and the media. So I became the chief medical correspondent for Univision, for Univision. And that gave me a significant platform to talk to Hispanics and help Hispanics uh, in everything, quite frankly, that relates to health, not only cardiac, but I, I talk about everything on TV. So my life is a mix between my clinical practice and my media responsibilities, basically. Okay, understood. Awesome. And, and you, you do a lot. You do a lot with the media. You have a very big following. Everyone, it seems that everyone I'm connected to seems to know you, and they do rave about you in the most positive way because you're a wonderful person and because you're a very knowledgeable doctor and you're a very helpful doctor. Um, you know, you're, you've been working with people and you you see all of your clients for you know you're you're a general uh doc for most for a lot of people is that correct but you also specialize in heart health 
as you said. And so I guess I'd like to know what is the most frequent challenge that you deal with when it comes to younger patients, if you're, if you can share that, um, you know, I, I see a lot of poor habits, uh, in today's, you know, I'm saying 20, 20 something, 30 something year olds. What do you, what was, what is the biggest challenge, um, that you deal with, um, in, nowadays? So, Mark, the, the biggest challenge by far in, uh, that age category is that they are not thinking about preventative health at all. They, mm-hmm. Basically, you tell them about heart health and they're like, okay, I'm 20, I'm 30. I don't have chest pain. I don't have shortness of breath. I don't have any issues. So I don't need to see a cardiologist. Unfortunately, what they don't understand is that coronary artery disease, the plaque that forms in your coronary arteries that eventually leads to a heart attack, Mm -hmm. that starts forming in your coronary arteries in a very silent way. So if you have high cholesterol, if you are overweight or obese, if you have uh, high blood sugar, hypertension, you don't exercise, you don't eat well, that process can already be on its way when you're 30, let's say, but it's completely silent. So if you are not looking for those risk factors, if you are not looking to see if you're already developing plaque, unfortunately, the first manifestation of the disease in some of these individuals is going to be a heart attack in their 40s. So if you want to prevent that, you obviously have to think about it when you're in your 20s and in your 30s, because this is a long-standing process. You need to try to decrease those risk factors to prevent that plaque from forming in the first place. And uh, so, so it's very difficult to explain to younger people that they need to start working on that when they're twenties and thirties. Of course, of course. And, you know, that's what brought me to, I'm I'm certainly not in my twenties and thirties. I'm 46 years old. I'm very, uh, the same age, Mark. Yeah. 46. I mean, but you look like a, uh, you're on the cover of a fitness magazine. We use that joke often, but he actually does. And uh, the first time I saw him, I said, man, this guy's so fit. I'm wondering what he does. And I know you lift weights. Tell us about your uh, fitness regimen, your health regimen, and then that'll dovetail into me asking uh, where I'm going with the next. So listen, I, I believe in balance, Mark. I, you know, I do, I, I, I do three meals a day. Uh, my portions are usually well-controlled. Uh, food, I don't leave to eat. I eat to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and I think that's, that's very important. I, I know people that all they think about is food yeah. and every single activity that they do in their lives is surrounded by food or associated to food and so forth. Um, uh, that, that's not who, who I am. I've been exercising since I'm probably 15 or 16 years old. I'm a, I'm an endorphin junkie. I need it not only because of physical health, but for mental health every day, or at least six times a week, I spend at least an hour exercising. I do it on my own. I don't have a personal trainer. I don't do it with a group. I, I see it as my alone time once in a while. Yes. I'll seek advice from people like you who know a lot more than, than I do about training and so forth, but I'd like to be on my own. 
listen to music and uh, and spend a little bit of time not answering the phone, not talking business, not doing any of that. Um, I sleep my seven hours uh, a night. Uh, I think that that's something that people don't do. I I enjoy life. I mean, you've seen me at Carbone. Yeah. I mean, I, I I I ate the pasta. I ate the veal parm. It's not like I'm there not eating what everyone else is eating. But guess what? I keep tabs on myself. If if it's a Friday, I think you saw me on a Friday. If it's a Friday, I'm, I, I'm having the spicy rigatoni with veal parm. You better believe it that I have a very clear plan on how am I going to eat the next day and how am I going to exercise the next day? Because right. life is that balance. I enjoyed mm. it. I'm not thinking about, oh, my God, what am I doing? Am I going to eat this veal parm? No, 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 no. You have to enjoy life, too. I'm there with my friends, with my wife. I'm going to enjoy it. But I have that plan for the next day because at some point I'm going to have to offset those additional calories. Um, and I don't have a problem with that. I understand that life uh, is a balance. I meditate, uh, Mark, uh, 40 minutes a day. Most... For sure, 20 minutes a day. Uh, mm -hmm. I do transcendental meditation. So usually what they teach us is that you want to do 40 minutes a day, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. Mo I, I try most of the time to do the 40 minutes. Sometimes I can't, but I always do the 20 minutes in the morning. Okay. Uh, that has helped me significantly. And I manage time very well. I mean, I have like four jobs. And uh, so time management is one of the things that I pay a lot of attention to, because if you don't manage time well, then stress is going to creep in. 100%. 100%. And you even mentioned to me that even when you, I know you don't take uh, a, a ton of vacations all the time, but when you do take time away, you uh -huh. even make it a point to make sure that you understand exactly what your op options are in regards to training and you get your training in every day. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, uh, some people criticize me and say, you're on vacation. And I say, well, this is, I even have more time now to exercise because what people don't realize is that for me, that's something I like. Right. Exercise brings me satisfaction. So if I have more time to do it, of course I'm going to do it. I think if you see exercise as work, and as something that you don't like and you have to do it, a couple of things are going to happen. Number one, yes, you're going to go on vacation and you're not going to exercise. The problem with those individuals, Mark, is that they gain the five pounds or the eight pounds and then they try to come back and overdo it, thinking that they are going to lose the seven or nine pounds or whatever it is. And in the process, they might get, they might get injured because they're not used to exercising that much as opposed to you know, do some exercise while you have time on vacation. It's it, it's going to make you feel very good. And you're not going to have the problem of gaining the five or six or, or, or seven pounds. So I think one of the issues that they face is that they see exercise as work. The other thing that course, uh, they course. run into, Absolutely. Mark, in my experience, is that when you see exercise as something that you're obligated to do or as work, the consistency is not going to be there because we're all human. And at some point we're not going to uh, withstand 
the pressure of having to do exercise all the time. So you are going to be one of those people that exercises for six months and then stops for four and then exercises again for three and then stops for one or two. And as you know, you know, that's, that's just not ideal. No, absolutely not. Consistency is king, as we always say. So um, I was experiencing, I, I, I train often my whole life. I'm a washed up athlete many years, and I do a lot of cardiovascular training. The reason why I share this is because during my uh, cardio bouts of cardiovascular training, not when I train, but maybe in the evening, certain periods of the day, I was like, man, I, I feel like I'm, I, I might have a heart issue. Um, and what I realized is, you know, if you have any issues, if you have any, any thoughts or any concerns, you have to see someone. So I, uh, I was sent to Dr. Juan, who's the best of the best. And when we met, I explained, I have some concerns. And you immediately put me through your uh, testing protocols. Do you want to explain how you would, you know, deal with a client like myself and then we can get into the test results? Yeah. So basically, uh, there are certain things that we want to understand. Number one, what are the risk factors? That's just a conversation between me and in this case, you or me and, and the patient. I need to understand whether you have a family history of heart disease. I need to understand whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, whether you smoke, uh, do you exercise, do you not, what's your weight. Uh, then uh, I do a physical examination. You, you can pick up a problem, obviously, when you do a physical examination. And then once you have risk factors, you talk to the patient you do the physical examination, there's one important question. Remember at the beginning of this conversation, I said, plaque in your coronary arteries is going to develop in a silent way. So if you don't look for it, you're going to miss it. So then what I do is I do an ultrasound of your heart to make sure that the heart is functioning okay. But then I do two other studies that are very important. I do an ultrasound of your carotids to see if you are developing plaque in your carotid arteries. And then I do what's probably the most important test in terms of predicting your risk of having a heart attack. And that is called a heart scan or a coronary calcium score. It's basically a CT scan from here to here. It's a CT scan of your heart. And it allows me to see if you are developing plaque. And if you are, I can tell how much plaque you're developing. And based on many, many, many studies that have been done correlating the results of a coronary calcium score with the risk of a heart attack, I can give you an indication of whether you're low risk, intermediate risk, or high risk. And once we understand where you are, then we can go back at your blood work and say, well, your cholesterol, it's okay where it is. Or, you know what, Mark, we need to bring your cholesterol down because what we see is that, you know, you're developing X amount of plaque. So we use these studies to individualize care. In other words, you and I might have the same level of cholesterol, but if you're developing a lot of plaque and I'm not developing plaque, we cannot be treated the same way. It doesn't make any sense. Right, right. Understood. Okay. 
So, uh, series of tests. I got real nervous. I got to be honest with uh, our audience because uh, Doc tells, uh, you know, his basically the, the nurse, the assistant, well, what's going to happen. And I'm on a treadmill and I have these electronodes all over my chest. And I'm really nervous because I'm thinking I'm going to sprint until I pass out. And then I realized I didn't necessarily have to do that test. And I want to ask, why did you think that test wasn't necessary yeah. for me personally? Yeah. So uh, when we did your coronary calcium score, Mark, we understood that you had no plaque in your coronary arteries. That means your coronary calcium score was zero. Based on many studies that have been done, when you have a coronary calcium score of zero, no identifiable plaque in the coronary arteries, we know that your risk of having a heart attack in the next four years is about 0.3%, very low. If I already know that you don't have any plaque in your coronary arteries, there's no point in me doing a treadmill stress test for you because that particular test only identifies plaque that is obstructing the artery 70% or more. If, if you don't have any plaque, how can you have one that it's 70% or more obstructive? It doesn't make sense. So the best, the best prevention study to understand what your risk is of having a heart attack in the future, it's not a stress test, is a coronary calcium score. Awesome, awesome. And I was actually shocked to hear that it was zero. I was very happy, but shocked. Okay, understood. Doc, do you have these uh, blood results uh, in front of you? I I don't have them, but I, you know, you can, I, I, re I remember, for example, the one, one of the values that I remember for you is your LDL, which is the, mo the most important one. If I remember correctly, it's 117, right? Yeah. So you're, that's the bad cholesterol. And so let's start there. If you have a bad cholesterol or LDL of 117, interestingly enough, as you are reading that, Mark, it probably it's highlighted as if it was high, correct? Are you there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because the lab will tell you that if you have an LDL above 100, that's high. Well, that's not the case because you are a low risk individual. So an LDL or bad cholesterol of 117 is perfectly fine for you. And that's important because if you're only doing that blood work and you don't have the context and you don't have someone helping you understand them, you would have thought that you had a high cholesterol, but you don't. Right. Thank goodness. Really. Thank goodness. Uh, so some of my, uh, that were in red, uh, my BUN was 32H. Yeah, yeah. So I remember that too. If you look at your BUN, I remember this. You're amazing. I I don't know, but if you if you if you look at your BUN creatinine ratio, uh, that that is going to be elevated in your case. And what that suggests, Mark, is that you need more hydration based on everything that you do. I mean, I know you do a lot of exercise right. uh, all day long. So uh, when you have a BUN creatinine ratio that it's a little bit elevated like you did, that suggests you need to hydrate a little bit more aggressive than what you're doing. But that's not, you know, 
that that's a simple marker that's not dangerous it's just giving you an indication that perhaps better hydration uh would be better for you all right perfect and and do you do you just pure water electrolytes um what do you suggest water water, water is fine i think that for you um, this is an interesting topic mark because I think for you, if you're doing water and electrolytes, let's say with one of the uh, sports drinks, mm -hmm. probably for you it's okay because of the high level of training that you do. But if you take someone, even me, who it's training relatively hard, but not as hard as you train, if I start drinking these uh, sports drinks, it's just going to be too much sugar for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but because you exercise as, as much as you do, it's probably okay. You know, you probably lose a lot of electrolytes and that sugar, it's not gonna matter for you. But if you get someone that goes to the gym for 30, 45 minutes and is walking on a treadmill, only walking, and you see them with a Gatorade or a Powerade or whatever brand, that's not a good idea. Understood. You know, they don't need that. They're drinking too much sugar when they do that. Got it, okay, perfect. Uh, my ALT 48H. So that that is ALT. It's a liver enzyme, and that goes along. That by the way, just so people understand, 48 is very very mild uh, increase in terms of what the normal should be. I think the normal should be 42, 43. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but you see it there. Uh, so a 48, it's yeah. only mildly mildly elevated, and that goes, uh, Mark, with the same concept. If you're somewhat dehydrated when you do that blood work, your liver enzymes can be a little bit elevated. Your uh, BUN creatinine ratio could be a little bit elevated. So I don't, in your particular case, I don't think that that is uh, an important finding. Got it. Okay. White blood cell count was 3.61. That was a little bit low. That is something that uh, you see relatively often. Uh, most of the time, Mark, it's a matter of just repeating uh, the blood work and then you'll see a normal value. Uh, sometimes if you're incubating, you know, let's say uh, a virus or if your immune system is fighting something or if you're going through a viral infection, uh, the white blood cell count can be a little bit, elev uh, a little bit low. Mm -hmm. Again, if you have a complete... A uh, completely normal person like you are without any significant symptoms, very athletic, uh, then that just, you know, it doesn't become uh, too relevant, uh, quite frankly. Got it. Okay. Uh, sex hormone uh, binding globulin, glob, 82H. Yeah. And yeah, so that that that's more you you might as well then mention your if you can see it there your testosterone level right because that is a you know when I do a workup uh, for a man I also look at the uh, hormonal axis so that means FSH LH which are the hormones that stimulate testosterone production uh, by the by the testicles and then you know you do the the uh, sex hormone binding globulin because that gives you an indication also of how that system is working. I can't remember specifically what your testosterone was, but I remember it was very healthy. Yeah, which one? So my te my total testosterone yeah. was 657. There you go. And, and so that's a very, very good, healthy uh, testosterone, right? And uh, 
uh, at the age of, of 46. And I suspect, Mark, that in your case, it has a lot to do with bodybuilding. Uh, people that lift weights, especially mm -hmm. when you are, are uh, doing a lot of uh, legs, because that's a big muscle, right. uh, your testosterone goes up uh, in your body. So right. it's a great way. People that are listening to this and they're saying, man, I wish I can increase my testosterone naturally, which I would recommend before getting into the whole supplementation thing, which is obviously perhaps a topic for another day and it's complicated. Uh, but before you think about something like that, lift weights, make sure you're at your ideal body weight and start lifting weights. That will naturally increase your testosterone levels. But in your particular case, you, you have a very healthy level. Right. I do not, uh, let, to let our audience know, I do not um, do any uh, test, uh, testosterone replacement yet. I mean, if I get on my years and, and I absolutely need it, I would certainly consider it. But I've been lifting weights my whole life and it's always served me well. And I think as what uh, Dr. Juan is saying, I really, really um, think that's a large part of it. I mean, I've been lifting weights almost every day my entire life. And I think you know, the benefits, I, I feel amazing after I'm done and it's helped me tremendously. So you don't take, uh, Mark, you don't take a, a, a day off? You know, I'll, I'll take, I'll, I'll tell you this on Sunday, I'll do a little bit less, but my Sunday is based off of what I do on Saturday. So if I have a easier day on Saturday, I'll do a little bit more on Sunday. But if I have a challenging day on Saturday, I'll do something on Sunday, but something super mild, like very chill where I'm breaking a sweat and then I'm backing off. And the only reason I do that is because I feel better. Psychologically, I feel better. Yeah. And that's really it. I mean, I, I understand I'm in this rowing competition and uh, it's a rowing competition in the skier machine. And I've seen that. Yeah. Oof, man, it's brutal. This week's competition is 6,000 meters for time followed with no rest, followed by a thousand meters for time. Uh, and it's, it's pretty brutal, but um, I know when I need a break. Like, I just know that my system can't produce a top end effort like that every day. And of course, the audience would say that's a no brainer, Mark, but although we know those things, we try. And then you realize, well, you don't get your best. So I, I've learned to, if I want to do my best on Wednesday, I have to do a little bit less on Tuesday. I've learned that. I used to try to break a record every day. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's the ego, really. Yeah. And you know what? For, for people, you know, watching this and listening to this, as a physician, I have to tell uh, everyone, you know, uh, so Mark is a genetically privileged man. So you guys, you know, it is true, right? So when we work out, you know, let's make sure that, you know, we're not injuring ourselves because we can, the, the reality is everyone needs to compare himself or herself to, to, to you. I mean, not to, not to Mark, but to yourself, uh, because we should try to get to our limit, not to someone else limit. Uh, it just doesn't work like that. You can perhaps... Uh, work out every day, you feel great. And, uh, you know, someone else might work out every day and get injured. Right. Uh, so it is important for everyone to, to determine, you know, what's the max for, for them. Uh, mm -hmm. I actually 
usually I take a day off. And uh, what I do is I, well, I play golf that day or I try to play golf that day. Um, but I like, I like training five, six times a week. And on your day off, you just allow, you feel good about allowing, of course you feel good about allowing your body to rest. I understand that. But psychologically. No, I get, I get antsy. Psychologically, yeah. I'm already, I'm already thinking about Monday's workout. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just know that uh, if I work out seven days, I, I think it wouldn't be beneficial for me. I think I would probably injure myself. Mm -hmm. Understood. Understood. It, it, it happens too, because the body is expecting that rest. You're not giving it and you're asking for more. It's almost a, the warn, the actual warning sign to tell you to back off. It happens frequently. Yeah. It really does, as yeah. you said. Understood. Thank you, Doc. So now um, we, we've covered the blood work. Um, I'd like you to, if someone's listening to this, you're going to give them your best list, maybe top three or top five things, preventative actions that people can take just to, to ensure good heart health. I know people have history. They have contraindications. They have uh, a long list of family history. What can people do? If you had to give me five things, Doc, uh, for prevent preventative actions. It's, it's actually not the, the, uh, the theory. It's very simple. What's difficult is actually implementing these things in a consistent way, but okay. the data is very simple. Number one, maintain an ideal body weight. It's it from an academic standpoint, it's very simple, but study after study after study has shown that if you maintain your ideal body weight uh, and you reduce abdominal fat, you are significantly reducing cardiovascular risk. So that's number one. Okay. Number two, uh, do the ten, the at least the 10,000 steps every day. You don't have to take that advice literally because I don't think that I do 10,000 steps every day. I actually don't count because I exercise a lot. You know, I go to the gym almost every day and I do a, 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 a balance of cardio and weights. So, you know, I don't need to count steps. But if for people that are actually saying, well, you know, my exercise is I walk. That's what I do. I'm always active. I hear these all the time. I'm always active. Okay, then at least make sure you're taking 10,000 steps. And if you're a 45, 40-year-old 40 guy or woman and you're completely healthy and all you're trying to do is 10,000 steps where you're not being ambitious enough, uh, you should, you, you know. Understood. The other thing I hear constantly, Mark, is, yeah, I walk the dog. Walking the dog? Well, I don't know what dog you have, but mine <laughs> stops every 30 seconds. <laughs> Yeah. You know, yeah. so <laughs> walking the dog should not count. I yeah. mean, that should count when we're 80. Right. Because that, that's great, right? right? When we're 80, we're active, but not when we're 40 or 50 and, and you're healthy. The third one would be you have to sleep the seven or eight hours a night. If you uh, start sleeping less, it increases your cardiovascular risk. It actually makes you gain weight. So you don't want to do that. Number four. I would say, and again, it sounds simple from an academic standpoint, but it's difficult to implement. You have to have strategies to control stress, uh, whether it's meditate, 
meditating or whether it's yoga or whether it's exercising or whether it's dancing, swimming, reading, writing, whatever it is, I don't care. But you have to have something that you can invest 30 minutes, 45 minutes daily that it's going to help you control uh, your stress. And number uh, five would be you have to be very conscientious about what you put in your body, right? So smoking or vaping uh, or food, you know, the food that you're eating, anything that you put in your system, in your body can increase the risk of cardiovascular disease. A little bit more controversial, but I think we should mention it because of the uh, audience that you're going to have. Energy drinks. Be careful with energy drinks. Thank you. Please, please. Uh, you know, for most people, it's probably nothing, and and the energy drink is gonna. It's not gonna do uh, any harm. But there are reports and data that suggest that energy drinks could potentially increase the risk of arrhythmias. And there is some data that that's starting to support that in some people it might uh, cause even heart attacks. So you have to be careful with energy drinks. Like I said, I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm exaggerating, but it's the same as smoking. A lot of people smoke, and only 8% of the people who smoke get lung cancer. But if you're in that 8%, you're not going to like it. That's you true. just need to be aware of that association between uh, some cardiovascular risk and energy drinks. Understood. I know it's a big topic, but we're talking about energy drinks and... Uh, how do you feel about a little bit of caffeine before training? Not like we don't need to get into the breakdown of, of well, we know what it does, but are you okay with that? Like a shot of espresso, a cup of coffee. How do you feel about that? I don't that? have a problem with that. Coffee's healthy. Uh, you know, as long as you're not taking more than 400 milligrams of coffee in a day, you are completely within the range that have been studied, number one, to be safe, and number two, beneficial for your heart for your brain, for your liver, uh, and that's because of the antioxidant uh, uh, capacities or elements of coffee. Now, you, when we say coffee, you also have to define what is coffee for you because, you know, if you're taking the Cuban coffee that it's, you know, I don't know how, how much sugar they put into that thing, but it's a lot of sugar, then that's not going to be good. Or if you're the type of person that thinks of coffee uh, as a white chocolate mocha from Starbucks, you're basically drinking a dessert before you work out. Sure. Uh, so if it's a cup of uh, ex uh, a black coffee or, or like you said, a shot of espresso, you know, as long as you're not doing more than the limit, uh, it's healthy. Understood. Understood. That was super helpful. Thank you very much, Doc. Um, are there any, are there any, um, I'd say maybe dangerous things that you've seen trends in regards to exercise other than, you know, the energy drinks. Are there any forms? I know it's, it's all, everyone's very different. I understand that, but have you heard of anything in exercise, any events, uh, any specific types of weightlifting that, you know, you've heard, you really need to be mindful and careful of these things. Yeah. I think that if you are above the age of 40, like I am and you are, you have to be careful with anything that um, resembles or it's like CrossFit. The reason why I say that is because, not because it's necessarily bad. Uh, if you're doing it under supervision and so forth, it can be very, uh, very good. But a lot of injuries that we see are from 
CrossFit. And the reason why I think this happens is because you have a group of people and uh, you're doing it at the same time. And to a certain extent, you're competing with each other. Sometimes, sure. you know, you see the, um, you know, there's some sort of board or whatever where you can see where you are in relation to other people. And what ends up happening is that competition can lead you to bad form. And uh, and if that's the case, you can you can end up injuring yourself, especially if you're above the age of 40. You know, you have 20 some year olds doing, um, you know, CrossFit and very rarely will they get injured. No matter what they do, they're going to be fine. But above the age of 40, you know, you you need to start being a little bit smarter about how you train. And if you're going to do that type of training, I think you're better off uh, doing it with someone who's supervising you, someone who can help you, whether that's a trainer or a very good friend and you're paying attention to each other and one can say, hey, by the way, Juan, you're losing the form. Be careful. You might, you know, you don't want to injure your back or whatever it is. So I think that any of those situations in which you're either competing or quickly moving from one station to the next, I think that unconsciously that puts a little bit of pressure on us to do it quickly and that can lead to bad form and, and injury. Understood. Well, this has been amazing. I can't thank you enough for your time, Doc. You're incredible. Thank you for in your busy schedule, with your busy schedule, for taking the time to come on. It's going to be uh, very impactful for the audience and our listeners. I really can't thank you enough and keep wearing the incredible, incredible suits. <laughs> I hope to see you at Carbone again because I'll be eating the pasta as well. Absolutely. Listen, if you if you guys do the right thing, you can enjoy life. Uh, it's all about balance. I believe it. And, uh, you know, not only the pasta, but I'll have a tequila with you. Uh, you know, I hear that that's good for the arteries. <laughs> That's what I Thank hear. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate uh, the invitation. I admire what you do and uh, keep it going. Hopefully, we'll be having these conversations Thank you. feeling like Thank we you so are much, feeling Doc. today. You are the best. 70. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Thank you, Doc. Have a great holiday season and please give my best to your family. Thank you. Likewise. Take care. Thank you.